I went to log Gattaca because I yeah. watched it and I happened to go over to, you know how Letterboxd generates your uh, most watched actor and director of the year? Yeah. Uh, for like free users, they do it at the end of the year. But if you're a pro user like me, you get the the reports whenever you mm-hmm. want them. You just click on the little box. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up, and it turns out that apparently Ethan Hawke is my most watched actor of the year so far. I've seen <laughs> four of his movies in the past three months somehow. Well, but he's he's done a lot of work, right? That's the thing. Oh, yeah, recently. Uh, well, he's uh, recently like I mean, he was in Tesla. And then I watched Gattaca. Before that, I watched Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Uh, I also watched, uh, what was the other one I saw him in? Isn't Before the Devil Knows You're Dead awesome? Yeah, it's, well, it's bleak, but yeah, like performances. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's a great film. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm calling it now. I mean, if I if he continues to do work the over the rest of the year, or if I happen to watch, like, I don't know, a decent share of movies in the next uh, couple of months, I'm probably it's going to be the year of Ethan Hawke for me. That's just what <laughs> what's going to happen. You could do worse because he's actually like, I think, a really good actor. Oh, yes. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be worse. Like you could be stuck with Robert Downey Jr. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's always Who's, I think bes- basically decided to mail it in. So, well, the uh, Doolittle for sure. I mean, we've, yeah, we've covered exactly. that. I, I really hope that he spends his Avengers dollars on something interesting in the in the near future because i know he has it in him that period where he kind of he he rescued his career and he started doing really interesting work again before he became iron man i mean those are some really interesting roles that he took on in that so i know he's got it in him it just he's got to have the will (laughs) well speaking of gattaca um so i i rewatched it of course and it dawned on me how many famous people are actually in that movie yeah like bit parts i was so surprised um, we have Maya Rudolph is in there. You, she's covered in like nurses scrubs though, so you can't really see her. Gore Vidal randomly. I, I, I don't know the backstory behind that casting choice, but, but he's in there as like the, uh, the space director. Yeah. Alan Arkin. I forgot was yeah, in there. Yeah. Lauren Dean is in there. The guy who was in Breaking Bad is in there. Um, who's that? Dean Norris. So there's a cop. Oh yeah. Who questions, I think it was Jude, Jude Law. Law. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's in Breaking Bad. Yeah, he plays Hank. Yeah, Hank. That's right. Tony Shaloub is in there. Yep. Uh, Elias Cotillas is in there. He's actually really under it. I, I really like a lot of the stuff he's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a real... Um, it's a bit of a who's who. A who's who, like melting pot of 90s uh, people. And I don't know how I hadn't watched it all this time. But we'll get into that because because again the, these bonus episodes are supposed to be like you know we're we're going back and we're trying to find these blind spots and uh, kind of reevaluate them. Right. Okay. All right. Do you want to get started then? Yeah. yeah. Let's go to the intro. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Extra Buttery Podcast, where Robert and Jason watch old movies. As promised, this week we're talking Gattaca, which is a 1997 sci-fi film starring Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. In a society where success is determined by science, divided by the standards of perfection, one man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. This has been on our radar for quite some time, but it's kind of a forgotten hit, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I feel like you've been telling me to watch this for a long time. and Well, we've ne- you've known each other for so long now, though, right? Well, yeah. It, it, I mean, it always... I can't remember how it would come up in conversation. I guess maybe we'd be talking about some other random sci-fi, and you would, and, and you would say, uh, and you would say, "Have you seen Gattaca?" And I'm like, "No." And I'd seen the poster. I'd seen you know clips from it in as part of video essays. So you know, I knew it was out there. Just something was keeping me from uh, from actually seeking it out. Okay, well, we should start like kind of. What did you know beforehand? I had a vague, I, I vaguely knew about the genetics angle to it. I knew that it had something to do with that, but I think in my head, I'd also sort of confused it with Repo, the genetic opera. Okay, I've never seen that. What is that? Which is, I, I've never seen that either, oh, okay. but I had somebody, I had somebody I knew in school kind of go on a long tear about how great it was once, mm-hmm. and 
and I never watched that one either. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, but so I knew it had something to do with genetics. I knew it was some sort of dystopian kind of, um, a vision of the future. Right. But other than that, I was, I was pretty, I pr- went into it pretty cold mm-hmm. and, uh, I have to say I, I liked what I found. Right. It, um, at times it has a bit of like a, a low budget, almost doctor who yeah, kind of vibe sure. to it. Um, sure. but not in a bad way. I mean, I think they, I, I don't know exactly how much they made it for. I know that it wasn't much of a success when it came out. So the budget was $36 million and it made around $12 million at the box office. Right. So commercially, it was not well received. But since then, it's become sort of a cult movie in the sci-fi genre. And what happens is usually when these movies that are really well made that don't do well, they kind of gather a bit of a following and I think it stayed relevant until now because some of the topics it tackles are still very relevant today. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think in that sense, it's very prescient. But let's rewind. So 1997, directed by Andrew Nichol in his directorial debut. Uh, he went on to do The Truman Show and Lord of War afterwards. And he's known for talking about a lot of issues and problems that plague society as he sees it. So Gattaca... Gattaca is uh, named after the corporation, our main character, Vincent Freeman, uh, played by Ethan Hawke, uh, where he works. This is a sort of a space exploration company uh, that launches rockets into space all the time. In this uh, movie, it takes place in the not so distant future. Uh, Genetic uh, modifying eugenics is actually a thing. So people who conceive and have babies have the option to basically modify their children's genes into um, either something that's really perfect or something that's um, very much in their own mold. Provided they have the money, of course. Yes, provided they have the money. So what happens now is society is split into the haves and the have-nots. And in this movie, they're called the valids and the invalids. Ethan Hawke uh, was born out of a loving relationship of a man and a woman, but... Upon birth, they discover that he has a heart condition and that he will have a lot of trouble living a long life. He's predicted to die at age 30. But however, uh, Vincent is convinced that he wants to do more. He wants to be an astronaut one day. But because he's an invalid, he's not allowed to basically enter, come close to anywhere to being an astronaut. And he becomes a janitor. And the main crux of the story is that Ethan Hawke, in order to become an astronaut, assumes the identity of someone who's genetically superior called Jerome Morrow, played by Jude Law. And he basically takes on Jude Law's identity, gains an employment at Gattaca, and then works his way to the top. And when the movie starts, we are one week away from Ethan Hawke being sent to space. Yes. Well, as we as the movie opens, you get a real up-close look at how obsessive they have to be about pulling off this con because you see Ethan Hawke's character Vincent scrubbing his body down uh, with the with these like pumice stones and removing every trace bit of loose skin and hair vacuuming it up burning old clothes in a incinerator that they've installed in the house strapping pouches of like urine samples to his inner thigh so that he can pass the daily urine test at Gattaca, creating these little fingerprint applications with little samples of Jerome's blood inside them. That's right. So that when they do the blood check, when they enter the building every day, it samples Jerome's blood and not Vincent's. So it's like they've thought through everything. And there seems to be a guy out there. He's played by Tony Shalhoub, who uh, he's a bit of like a black market dealer of sorts. And he's able to set them up with all this. So it's not it's not so much that they're like criminal geniuses or anything. They just uh, they, they have all the tools and the lab equipment in their house and they become like roommates while also pulling off this very, very elaborate scheme. That's right. So in this future your resume is your blood sample. Like it doesn't matter where you go to school. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter what your race is. All they do is take a blood sample and a urine sample. And then right then and there, they decide how far and how much you can contribute to society. And obviously, you know, Ethan Hawke doesn't accept this. Um, there's a subplot in there about how his parents uh, give birth to a little brother who goes through the eugenics process. And this sort of sibling rivalry develops but because his younger brother, Anton, is favored by his father, Vincent leaves home and picks up a bunch of menial jobs until he meets Tony Shalhoub's character, 
who's only known as the German. And it's really interesting. This cast, looking back on it, is star-studded. So we have Xander Berkeley as Dr. Lamar, as the guy who's in charge of all the testing at Gattaca. We've got Alan Arkin as Doctor or Detective Hugo, because there's a subplot about a murder of the mission director at Gattaca. And then there's the love interest, uh, Uma Thurman, who uh, plays this woman called Irene Cassini, who is also someone who works at Gattaca and kind of falls in love with Vincent Freeman, but also is very suspicious of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we're... Were Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman married or involved when they made this movie? I can't remember the... They the, met on this movie. Oh, they met on this movie. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They were both like really young back then. Ethan Hawke, though, has not aged at all, though. Yeah, he's he's well-preserved, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you were talking about uh, how like some of the production looks a little low budget. And in fact, that was actually one of the criticisms about this film at the time. Empire gave this movie two out of five. Um, they said it was slow, it was predictable, it had no action. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you had Roger Ebert, who gave it three and a half out of four. Right, right. So I was wondering, where are you on the scale? I know you said you enjoyed it, but... I came in at like uh, four out of five on it. So I'm, I'm more on the Roger... I usually am. I'm, I usually side with Roger Ebert on most things. Well, I think the Empire Review is too harsh. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think... I think they missed the point. I don't think the production value is the point. It, this is not a movie that's trying to be like a in-your-face space epic or anything like that. Yeah. It, um, it happens to have a low budget, but it doesn't detract from the quality of the storytelling, I don't think. I mean... Most of the scenes take place either in Gattaca or in the ultra-modern apartment that Vincent and Jerome share. So, you know, the, the locations are limited. Most of the cars that the characters drive, the production design in the movie is sort of retro-futurist. So they drive cars that look like they're from the 50s and the 60s, yeah, yeah. but happened at the time to be sort of space-type, space-age cars when they, were, when they were made. So the production right. takes advantage of that and they say, okay, well, you know... When these cars originally came out in the real world, they were seen as being like cutting edge, spacey cars. So we'll reuse those, but we'll make them into electric cars. So the movie kind of predicted the rise of Tesla to an extent. Yeah. So that was one of the things about how people compared Gattaca to Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX. Right. Right. How it was just this company that was just focused on exploration. It had no real plot or no real explanation about how it has so much money or how it has access to all these things. The story is quite focused in that sense in that this is totally a story about how you can't limit people's potential because of their human spirit, basically. The ability to overcome odds. Yes. Yeah. Because here's hoping that Elon Musk is not expecting daily blood and urine samples from the SpaceX. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him, but uh, yeah. AI facial recognition is like the the start of that, eh? Oh yeah, yeah, and and uh, the the whole concept of the Gattaca society being driven by eugenics is really not. I mean, we're not really at that that point yet, but there's definitely lots of geneticists today who are worried about that becoming a thing in the future because it's getting easier and easier to edit genes and the idea of like disabilities being completely removed from future generations of children is as a is a thing that might be achieved maybe 10 20 30 years from now and then of course that creates all of these ethical problems for people who are alive today who have disabilities do they become an even more oppressed class in in society Mm -hmm. if what they have is no longer even seen as being like bad genetic luck it's Mm -hmm. something that like could be solved yeah so theoretically like an improving gene pool is good for society theoretically the problem is that the people in power who make the decisions can induce genocide if they're not careful sure yeah because you have this society of uh, or this group in society that are somehow for whatever reason sometimes whimsical reasons that are not desirable or you know second class it's interesting that you raise that point because a while back i was reading this article about kids with down syndrome Cases of Down syndrome are are decreasing year after year because one, you can test for it. And two, when you test for it and then you abort babies who may have Down syndrome, you're basically improving your gene pool. Right. And so we already engaged in a practice of eugenics without really realizing it. And there are people who say, you know what? Maybe we should stop doing this because 
people with Down syndrome um, bring out a little more humanity and compassion in us. And it's really important to have those feelings because once you lose it, society suffers. You stop helping your neighbors. Yeah. You start you stop being kinder to each other. So there's an argument to be made that, you know, people who have disabilities or are otherwise genetically, quote unquote, flawed are also desirable in our society because it shows another dimension to us. It shows that we can be a society that is very accepting of all kinds of different people. Exactly. Yeah. For sure, and Gattaca serves as a bit of a cautionary tale to that because while mm-hmm. you don't see the majority of the characters being outright cruel or emotionless or or lacking empathy, right, 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 they definitely feel like they're more reserved and less warm to their fellow humans. And I I remember as it started, I was I was also sort of in my head, I was mixing it up with the plot points that I have heard about from the Christian Bale movie Equilibrium, right which came out, I think, in like the early 2000s, maybe yeah, it came out a something like that. And that is another sci-fi dystopia. But in that one, all of the hum- humans have had their emotions repressed or surgically removed or yeah, something yeah. or other. And Christian Bale plays the only character who has like any kind of kind of latent sense of emotions. So I, in this, I was kind of expecting the characters weirdly to be sort of like the, the people in equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But of course, they're not. It's just the something about how sculpted and perfect they all are it kind of gives off that sense that yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. being that they're all kind of emotional zombies or something yeah it's it's less militaristic and less violent than equilibrium sure oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> ethan hawk does not have dual pistols shooting everyone up yeah whatever they they coined a term for that uh, that movie uh, gun fu <laughs> kung fu right 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 yeah yeah interesting enough in 2011 there is an article from the smithsonian magazine and gattaca was voted as the most probable and best science fiction movie by, uh, I think, people at NASA. It's since been surpassed, but I think that's really interesting. Mm. And I think that's part of the staying power with this. Did you have any thoughts about um, the enormous lengths that Ethan Hawke had to go through just to portray Jerome Morrow and sort of like the the relationship between the two? Well, yeah, because you, we see that... He is like a. Um, I'm reminded of of the Mission Impossible line. He is a he's a manifestation of pure will, <laughs> in <laughs> reference to Tom Cruise. Right. Character. No, that's great. You're putting uh, be- it. Because uh, that is essentially you know due to this heart condition and some of the other kind of things that they discover about Vincent when he's born, you know he has to rely exclusively on just pure determination in order to get what he wants, and arguably he goes to lengths far longer than uh than anything most humans would put up with like that like i said the daily ritual of just scrubbing his skin till he's raw and uh you know removing all the excess hair Mm -hmm. and burning stuff and creating all those appliances to to pass the checks and um and just being even when he gets into the place being hyper aware of how other people are seeing him and checking his his behaviors so that you know he doesn't leave any debris around because they the cops in this movie are able to you know suck up things with little they bring little vacuum cleaners with them to the scene of the crime and then they use that they're like oh well mm-hmm. um we found the genetic material of an invalid therefore that person has to be the suspect in this murder investigation none of the valids none of the genetically superior people could possibly be suspects so that that give that gives a, you a sense of like you know ethan hawk's character even though I, I wouldn't say he has much of a character arc in this. He doesn't really learn anything. In right. fact, he, he becomes more and more determined as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, he does experience a little bit of like, almost like an accept, sense of acceptance mm-hmm. or grief or something right at the end when he thinks that his objectives aren't going to be reached. Right. But he doesn't really, he doesn't undergo much change. No. So... So on that on that level, there isn't a whole lot of character development, but you still the movie is still very clear about his motivations. But he he elicits change from a lot of people around him, right? Yeah. So yeah, so he's he, the agent of change. The exactly. other people, you know, yeah, yeah. So in, in this society, people are very much accepting of what society has become. But Ethan Hawke has shown that maybe society's rules and conventions aren't exactly proper or aren't exactly effective. Right. Um, there's a line about how people exceed their potential. And the 
the mission director at uh, Gattaca says, no, if there's no one who exceeds their potential, if anything, it's because we miscalculated their potential in the first place. Right, right. Because then the, that calls back to Jerome, Jude Law's character, where, yep. you know, everything that they describe his character as having the heart of an ox and yep. uh, being this, like, uh, preternaturally gifted athlete who goes to the Olympics, competes in swimming, which is actually Vincent's uh, chosen activity as well. Mm-hmm. And But it turns out that despite everything that Jerome had go, going for him, he still only got a silver medal. Right. And that that is one of the things that's nagging at Jerome the entire time and causes him to step out in the street in front of a car and try to commit suicide. And that's how he breaks his back. That's how he and Vincent's paths cross. So the movie goes to a lot of lengths to, to explain that, yeah, it's uh, on the surface. You might be able to, to tweak your genes, but it's not necessarily going to get you as far ahead as you think it might. What do you think is harder, living up to expectations like Jude Law's character or being stuck with no expectations like Vincent? Uh, Well, I would say Vincent probably because he, you know, he is the the one example of somebody who's able to kind of pierce through. Mm-hmm. But there, you think about and we, do, we don't see it in the movie, but you have to assume that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people like Vincent in that world who are not willing to go to the lengths that Vincent does or can't yeah, for one right. reason or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're just stuck with their lot in life, you know, mm-hmm. so they're, you know, who knows what kind of horrible things they experience um, because this seems to be a sort of a post-racial kind of yeah. world that they've imagined. Uh-huh. Like racism yeah. is no longer the, uh, race is no longer the uh, defining factor in social status. It's all got to do with genes. Right. So, you know, they take one thing that's uh, like classic sci-fi. They take something that's familiar from our world and they just sort of twist it a little bit to kind of reveal something about the way we treat each other in meat space. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see sort of like the depression rates and rates of suicide in this society. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think that would be really interesting. Like if you're an invalid, like you really don't have much to look forward to, you know, and, and the drive mm-hmm. that. Um, Vincent shows is atypical of people in that society. Yeah, yeah. Like he says to Anton at one point, like I didn't leave anything in the tank for the swim back. That's right. That's you right. Know, he's he's just going like he's willing to die basically to, to right. achieve his goal. So obviously, Gattaca is a sci-fi film, but is it also like a horror film? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, anything to do with eugenics is kind of horrific when you really think about it right right like we're not talking like jump scares no but the ideas that some of this this movie discusses is pretty horrifying i i hope we never get to that point yeah if we do i hope i'm not around yeah exactly i and um granted this is a very focused movie and it deals with even though it has a fairly large ensemble cast it's focused mostly Mm -hmm. on them and we don't really see the wider society we don't we don't know how their politics work we don't know mm-hmm. uh like i said we don't know much about the unwashed masses all of these invalids you know what their lives are like the world beyond might be a really really bleak place it just didn't get worked into the screenplay here you know it, we might be dealing with like a mm-hmm. blade runner type world where it's just like the cities are just covered in grime and all these poor people are just sort of massed together in in uh in densely packed urban neighborhoods or something right right it feels like almost like gattaca is like a best case scenario yeah if we were to introduce eugenics but also have like a functioning society yeah where you know not everything is crumbling and post-apocalyptic i actually really appreciated that aspect it was very clean eh like Obviously, you know, what Jerome has to go through is is awful and, and the murder itself is, is awful too. But everything else the movie presents is clean and straightforward. Yeah, for sure. I'm also reminded of Dune, actually, because Dune kind of worked some eugenics into its society yeah. as well. And it keeps it a bit more quiet. It's not really sitting on the on the, the forefront of everything like it is here. But that's an example of like how a lot of the main characters exist because of eugenics, but then there are characters like um, the Harkonnens who are, mm-hmm. you know, they're able to carve out a, a niche in an otherwise very preordained society just because they're violent and cruel enough to kind of grab a little piece for themselves. Right. But the, yeah, in this, in this, it's very, very scrubbed down, very, 
and that's I think why it reminded me a bit of the old school Doctor Who episodes because mm-hmm. again they were dealing with pretty tight budgets on that show and uh, it's easier to make like a super minimalist set without a whole lot going on mm-hmm. on a low budget than it is to actually fill a space with all kinds of garbage right right because <laughs> you actually have to buy the garbage to put on your set right and we talk about this like really rigid society in Gattaca too but all the characters we meet in Gattaca are anything but like for example uh Ant- or Vincent's brother Anton ends up being the detective who's in charge of uh the murder investigation right and and even though he knows that uh Vincent is guilty of fraud he still gives him a chance. They go for that midnight swimming competition at the end. Uh, Uma Thurman, uh, even though she's raised in this society, she also, um, I guess, gets a little soft on the inside. Yeah. And and forgives everything that, that Vincent has done. And obviously, the doctor, Dr. Lamar at Gattaca, he's also sympathetic to Ethan Hawke's cause. Because yeah. he also, he knew all along too. He made some joke about how right people, right-handed people don't hold their, um, uh, hold their dicks with their left hand when they're doing a <laughs> urine test. Yes. Which I thought was a hilarious line. Oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I feel like that's, that line has been used in other um, sci-fi movies before. Maybe, yeah. Just a little winking nod or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it was very interesting to me that everyone in this movie, almost everyone, um, still has that compassionate side to them. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting because you don't, you really don't have characters who are like a some sort of dictator politician type character who is the one enforcing the eugenics. That's right. You, you That's don't, right. you don't get a sense of like where the rules are being set. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the movie would be better or if it would be worse if we got that context. Part of me says that it would be worse because you almost don't need the detail. You can appreciate the story as it is without really needing the nuts and bolts. Yeah, and also when you introduce someone like that, it's easy to make them into a mustache twirling vi- uh, villain. Yes. Where everything they do is antagonistic. Like everything is by the book, A is A, B is B. And those type of villains, I think, end up being very uninteresting. I think if you want to talk about villains, I thought... Um, there were so many layers to both Jerome Morrow, Jude Law's character, and Anton Freeman. I think in both cases, they were, I guess, preordained to have these fabulous, you know, rich lives because they were genetically superior. But at the end of the day, they're huge flaws to their character. And there's a lot of self-doubt about them, too. Yeah, I, I didn't. I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to it, but I part of me just watching as many movies as I have, I mm-hmm. half expected Jerome, Jude Law's character, to betray Vincent at some point. Right, right. And, right. you know, kind of side with his folks, with his people, the, you know, genetically perfect. Uh-huh. But he doesn't. He ends up being uh, a good friend to Vincent throughout because I guess he he appreciates the how Vincent has made the most of their situation and continued to, like, bring in income from his job at Gattaca to kind of keep Jerome in the... And his alcoholism. In his alcoholism <laughs> and to, to in the, the to the life that he has expected, you know, I think... It's interesting you brought that up because Jerome's sort of motivations for helping uh, Vincent it has always been kind of mysterious to me. He makes a comment about how, you know, like being burdened with great expectations was awful... Mm. You know, and and he wants to see someone who is basically genetically weaker than him to succeed. But I'm also wondering, like, what is his true motivation? Because at the end of the movie, Jerome kills himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost it's almost like he well, he and Vincent are kind of like two sides of the same coin or like, a right. Jekyll, yeah. or like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of situation where they're almost equals actually like opposite, but equal yeah, in the sense that two pieces of the same whole. So as soon as, yeah. as soon as Vincent is able to kind of, he's achieved the previously impossible and he's made it through this, you know, rigorous selection process to actually get a seat on this rocket. He doesn't really need Jerome anymore because mm-hmm. he's successfully pulled off the con. He knows that he doesn't, He's not going to be subjected to any of the blood or urine samples while he's on the mission. And Jerome has made sure that when Vincent does come back to Earth, he's got enough blood and urine there to continue to pull off the con for the rest of his life. That was the most implausible part of the movie. How much blood and urine do you need to have? Although, by the same token, when Jerome comes or when Vincent comes back from space, 
He's like, whatever, I already went to space. I already proved you wrong. So it doesn't matter if you toss me in jail. I've already done what I accomplished anyway, right? Right. And I think Jerome is kind of like picking up on that. And he feels that certainly for the year of the the year long mission, he's going to lose half of himself. And Mm -hmm. I guess he just like he he gets overcome by the sense of, you know, he, he can no longer. Well, his time with Vincent was kind of prolonging the inevitable and That's gave right. him a re- gave him a reason to live for that period of time but now he really won't anymore and mm-hmm. yeah i guess it just it, it kind of um it weighed on him too heavily i i think that was a very good um sort of ending to his character and mm. that he accepted his his fate and that yeah he fell short of you know what was expected of him but he helped to push someone to exceed what was expected from them which yeah. was nothing Exactly. Um, there is a part in the movie that was really kind of interesting to me. It was when um, when Uma Thurman's character, Irene and Vincent, are sort of starting to fall in love with each other. And she kind of steals a strand of his hair so she can go to this like place where they can send out a DNA report based on your sample. Yeah. And then tell you how good these per this person's genes are yeah it's like a matchmaking service but yeah crossed, so it, crossed with eugenics it's really it's like screwed the up. future of tinder i yeah. guess <laughs> like scoo swiping left and right you just gotta get a strand of their hair and bam you'll need to know everything i mean a part of me part of me half expects that it's going to come out of the silicon valley folks yeah, any day now it's really in, in well a, that, that was my next question do you think this is plausible and two is this something you would do it's not something I would do, but I would, I could a hundred percent see it happening. And I feel like, honestly, I don't even know what the, like the regulations against it might be because people. Oh, there's tons of privacy laws this would violate. Well, there, tons. Okay, well, yeah, that's a good point. Like the privacy stuff, like sharing the information, but, but already people will willingly go and do a DNA test for funsies just to kind of explore their ancestry, for example. But the uh, the hilarious part is that uh, you know, insurance people, insurance experts, financial experts will tell you uh, maybe you don't want to do that because yeah. because insurance companies these days can ask you as part of a screening process for a new policy. Uh, hey, have you had a DNA test? We want to see that before we approve or, or yeah. deny you. You know, we might adjust your rates as a result. And yeah, and that is that that one thing has warded me away from getting any DNA testing done because. I don't want to pay more money than I already have for something that I uh, like some disease that I don't know I'm going to get like <laughs> or like if you just have a family history of something. Yeah. Right. Like if you have a family history of heart disease or cancer or anything like that, it could really prevent you from being able to do things that you otherwise, you know, could. Yeah. Even the knowledge of it might change the way you live your life because you might say, oh, oh you know, sure. oh, maybe I'm not going to take that big um that big vacation uh, with a lot of like heavy duty hiking because now, you know, I'm worried that I'll fall down and have a heart attack. And, you know, if you hadn't had that test done, it's that it's that kind of like ignorance is bliss kind of question. Right. 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 Which is actually kind of funny because I remember last episode uh, with the extra buddy podcast, we were talking about Minari Mm -hmm. and how David has the heart condition as well. Yeah. And and he's treated differently for that reason. But his grandma is the one just like, whatever, just, you know, let, let, let's see what he can do without all this stuff hindering him. Yeah. And you could apply the same thing to Vincent. Yes, for sure. Did you find the symbolism in this movie really heavy handed? Uh, but like with the names, especially like Cassini, um, you know, Vincent Freeman. Um, a little bit. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a little bit. Like Gattaca, the letters even, G-A-T-C in regards to the DNA. Oh, yeah, they had the, the compounds in, in the DNA molecule. Yeah. I, well, the Gattaca one I was fine with because I think that's that's clever enough that uh, it's not kind of hitting you on the head. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the names, yeah, I can see how that might be a bit cringy. But honestly, I mean, I think about what Andrew Nichol has done in the years since. And one, mm-hmm. of, one particular film stands out like a sore thumb to me and it's uh, one that he made with Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried called In Time 2011 <laughs> right and he interestingly enough he he returned to some of the similar ideas in like uh social stratification and uh, some sort of prevailing dystopian thing that um causes a, like a have and have not 
kind of situation. In that case, it's these like, you know, these uh, digital counters on people's arms that shows them exactly when they're going to die, how much time they have left in their life. And, you know, if you're rich, you can afford to put a bunch more time on your clock. Um, that was mm-hmm. that to me, the, the what he did with the world building in that movie was way more in your face, way more annoying. So I feel like Gattaca, Gattaca is nothing in comparison to that. I think in an interview, he basically said in time was kind of like the spiritual successor to Gattaca. Oh God, I don't want to even think. <laughs> I was I just remember coming out of In Time and being frustrated because there were so many time puns. It was like right, right. stuff like I'm gonna clean your clock and <laughs> things well, like I that. Well, I mean, I think that's the just the nature because he tackles so many like problems in regards to society about that. So in order to make the themes you know very prevalent and clear in the movie, sometimes he kind of has to hit you over the head with it. A little bit, but I think he, I still think he went too far within time. I just I think I would have got the concept very easily without any of that dialogue crap. It was uh, yeah. Are you sure it's not because it's Justin Timberlake in the lead role as well? Uh, maybe for you, but I I'm not I'm not oh, I'm not okay. opposed to Justin Timberlake's acting. I feel like he can do a decent to good job given the right mm-hmm. material. Um, so that mm-hmm. that wasn't a, that wasn't a question for me. It was for me. It was entirely the script. Also, there's a scene where like um, Olivia Wilde is playing Justin Timberlake's mom and they're what? Yeah, because like, of course, in this world, you know, you can be immortal if you just keep adding time to your arm clock. Right, right. Okay. So uh, she plays his mom, but then uh, some some series of events happens and she's about to die and they're like running at each other in this empty warehouse district or something and they're running at each other and they're running at each other and the movie is drawing this sequence out more and more and more and more mm-hmm. and then they kind of finally run together right as she dies <laughs> and it was so melodramatic and so unnecessary i just oh i was done i was done with the movie then and it was like that was the half hour mark right i, I think melodrama is like kind of his calling card because eh? there's a bit of that in gattaca and then there's definitely mm. a lot of that in the truman show yeah, but I but I feel like it's used well in the Truman Show. Right. Yeah, because well, I mean, it's a it's a very funny concept to begin with, right? And and yeah, there is like a distinct lack of humor in Gattaca, other than Jude Law's performance, because he plays this like really grumpy dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he almost forces you to like take these things seriously, and because it's slow and contemplative, it kind of makes you think a little bit. But there, there are parts of Gattaca that are very exposition heavy. Oh yeah, like the first fifteen minutes is just Ethan Hawke explaining what society has become. Yeah, they do a lot of it in voiceover, and I maybe that was also a result of the lower budget. You know, they mm-hmm. yeah, it's, fair. Um, it can be tough if you don't have the money for like these big crowd scenes or, you know, painting the picture of the world at large. And, you know, right. so voiceover is a pretty cheap way to kind of to download all that, that necessary info. But mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I, but it was clear though. Like it wasn't muddled. No, it wasn't muddled. It, they, they, they communicate what they need to communicate uh, very easily. And the only thing you could say about it is maybe there's a bit too much of it, but not, not, mm-hmm. not so much that it like wrecks the experience at all. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the best parts of this movie is that it's 100 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's the perfect length for, for a movie that is so focused. Yes. Um, I thought the music in this was incredible, but was there, like, something or a scene that you really, really liked or stood out to you? Um, I'm trying to think now. I would say, well, one sequence that I really liked was the what they were doing when Vincent is on the treadmill. And he's got a little device on his chest that's monitoring right. his heart rate, but he's modified it so that it plays a recording of Jerome's heart rate. And mm-hmm. then at the same at the exact same time, he's overhearing the investigation from the detectives who are standing nearby. And obviously he knows that they're looking for him, they but they don't know that it's him yet. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different um there's like an A plot and a B plot that are intersecting. He's got to try yeah. to continue to it's a cat and mouse thing, cat and mouse thing, but he's got to keep a straight face. He's got to focus on the workout at the same time. And then at the very end of it, he like, uh, he has to rush off into the locker room cause he's nearly dead from overexerting himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, that was a pretty tight sequence. Then, uh, another one that, that, uh, that kind of st- stuck out at me was the, the bit where he wakes up in Irene's house Right. After they spend the night together and 
he's looking around he's realizing how much genetic material he's left yeah. around just like <laughs> not to mention hair. probably inside her <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um so he like rushes out onto the beach and he's just like scrubbing himself down with a stone that he finds yeah. on the beach and and just completely buck naked in the in the waves and uh and it was this kind of like primordial kind of image that i i really liked it was yeah, kind of like he had just visuals, sort of crawled up out of the water or something yeah yeah the visual is very striking right like yeah. it's almost like he was born out of the ocean like after Aphrodite, you know, yeah, yeah. just like this brand new because we always like water is so overused in movies as sort of like this cleansy thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, I, and it was it's really apparent too when they go for the swim when he's swimming against his brother how they're butt naked. Yeah, and it, it, it it's sort of like a, a fresh start for both of them. I thought that was kind of interesting and kind of funny. There's one thing, one scene that made me laugh that I just kind of thought of, and it's the final scene where um, Vincent enters the rocket ship. Mm. And if you notice, they're not wearing astronaut suits. They're not. They're yeah. actually wearing business suits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's an artistic choice because they they sort of like end with a close up of his face mm. and his eyes as he's looking at the stars. Yeah. But uh, did you have any thoughts about that? I thought that was really hilarious. I, I did think that was funny. I mean, I think that is that's an, again that's an example of like artistry cross crossed with budget constraints. And just yeah. trying to come up with the the best solution that is the most kind of artistically fulfilling, but given the fact that they couldn't really afford mm-hmm. to build mm-hmm. fancy looking spacesuits, probably, or maybe right. they could. I, I don't know what they spent their money on, but the um, it, it definitely had that vibe. Just everything about the way that set was put together, and the fact that you don't see much of the rocket. You know, it's all mm-hmm. uh, they, they didn't spend a whole lot on like exteriors of rocket effects or anything it's always in the distance that you see the rockets That's taking, right. stuff like that but yes they've clearly this society has advanced very far and to the point where they can just board rockets with regular street clothes and mm-hmm. uh, they're mm-hmm. really confident that those things aren't going to blow up partway <laughs> off the, <laughs> off the uh, launch pad yeah i mean they perfected that technology somehow right where they're yeah. sending i think they said like they're sending rockets up once a week yeah or no a, a couple of days a couple of times a day i think they said Oh, yeah. 12 a day, they said. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine so, how much fuel you're burning through for, for all that. Yep. How yeah, much millions sure. and billions of dollars you burn through. That's insane. Again, but this is it's more evidence that this movie is the main thing that is inspiring Elon Musk for SpaceX, because this is that's exactly what he's wanting to see from all of these recent rocket tests that he's been doing. Yeah, he wants to yeah. he wants rockets taking off and like ferrying people onto the other side of Earth and for all these like mm-hmm. kind of low orbit travel and things like that. So mm-hmm. something tells me that he's not going to be able to to really reach that until you're able to just board a rocket in your business suit like they do in Gattaca. Yeah. 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 My favorite scenes weren't really like there's no particular scene that stood out the, the image that stands out to me most is him scrubbing himself in the incinerator shower that he has. Oh, yeah. But part of more what stuck uh, with me more is the dialogue some of these characters have, especially mm-hmm. in regards to society. Like, I love the dialogue where um, when he is a janitor at Gattaca and his boss is saying, never in a million years will you be on the other side of the glass mm-hmm. um, just because you're you're not, you know, the right type. Um, and also just any dialogue between him and his brother. I thought the little twist at the end where the detective investigating the murder ends up being his brother was a little, mm, I don't want to say cheap, but, but, a, but just a little yeah, tacky, a, li- a little tacky. Yeah. I agree with yeah. you there. Like it almost would have been better if he had developed a new relationship with this detective who was just a stranger to him mm-hmm. and kind mm-hmm. of caused that detective to experience some sort of mm-hmm. revelation about how screwed up their mm-hmm. society is mm-hmm. or something uh, but i guess they i guess they did like i in a storytelling level they did want to return to the stuff that they'd set up at the beginning you know yeah and have, i think yeah yeah that's for sure a stellar storytelling choice and that's why i liked it because the the brotherhood the dynamic they have is really interesting and and i wish we kind of got more backstory with their parents too because at some point it really felt like mom and dad had different ideas um dad obviously favored um anton more but mom was always partial to vincent because he was the firstborn and he was born out of basically love yeah, I almost wanted them to do a little bit with like the parents kind of having a real fight over the fact that they decide not to give Vincent the name Anton 
right. as soon as they discover that he's genetically inferior. Right, because his dad, right, in in the room, in the delivery room, he's like, no, this kid is not worthy of being named after me. Yeah, yeah. So it's I almost wanted like some sort of scene where, where the mom and dad have it out, but I guess it would have taken the focus away. Um, I think so too. But it, you know, it would be kind of funny just to see that play out like that behind the scenes kind of yeah. thing where, where they're like, Oh, what you don't like him all of a sudden? Because yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, final thoughts about the movie. Uh, just that I'm again, I'm uh, like, like I said, with the true lies episode, I'm glad I kind of uh, got, a, got around to watching this. I feel like it's, um, it's probably, might even be easier to overlook than true lies was because oh for sure it's like like we were saying it's the the financial performance wasn't great so that suggests that very few people saw it when it originally came out and yeah you know you just happen you have to deliberately seek it out I, I don't even know which streaming services it's available on right now so i think recently it made its way onto netflix okay but but i mean depending on your algorithm and viewing habits you may never see it on netflix right Right. Because the stuff they suggest is just bonkers. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I will have to say, I think Agatica aged really well. Yeah. For I would, a movie um, that's like 20 something years old, it's aged very well. For sure. I would recommend it to, to all sorts of people. Um, I can think of like, given the time, I could probably come up with four or five other movies that would make a perfect double feature with it. Um, right. Yeah. 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 Not for in sure. time. That's the, you know, not just because. Andrew Nichol made two movies about <laughs> so social problems run amok. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I, I wouldn't put those two together, but but yeah, Gattaca's uh, you could it it has oh it shares some DNA with many other sci-fi that came out. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I see what you did there, Robert. Um, yeah, I totally recommend it as I recommend it to you. Um, solid four four out of five at the very least for me. Yep. Um, I, I think it's a very contemplative piece and it, it raises a lot of important questions that I think a lot of movies don't really take the time to comb over. Yeah. So. A final question for me. Do you think they will remake this at some point oh, in the future? Was, you know, and, and if they do, who would you fan cast in the main roles? Oh, OK. That's interesting. So assuming that like assuming that Ethan Hawke, like I don't even know what, if or when this would happen or if Ethan Hawke would still be around to even you know, duck in in a cameo or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but if they, if they were to redo it, oh, that's tough. Okay. So I, I had the same thought. I was like, why haven't, why hasn't anyone remade this or, or turned in a sequel for Gattaca? Because it seems so, um, you know, still so relevant today. Yeah. And, and because, you know, Hollywood loves recycling old stuff. I, I just feel like this should have been remade or, or turned into a series at some point. I think at some point it was going to be a TV series, but it didn't get very far. Mm. Um, as far as who I would cast, I don't know. Um, it, it definitely has to be someone who you can root for as an everyday hero. Yeah. So s- someone who's, you know, not the best looking, not the tallest, not the most handsome um, you could do, do a reverse where a female is in the lead yep. and she, she can't be the smartest or the most beautiful or, or whatever. Um, I mean, I know, tough. I know Daisy Ridley has spent a lot of time in sci-fi universes recently, but I could see her in like a female led. Oh, she'd be good. She'd um, be good. It'd probably be turned out better than chaos walking, which I'm really <laughs> looking forward to still. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that available to, to rent on VOD right now? I, I, is it I, even out? I don't even know if it's out. If it's out, I'm definitely going to seek it Daisy out. Daisy Ridley is doing press for it. So I feel like it, it's, oh, it's so going to come out it has and to the, the, uh, the reviews are up on Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly critics have been allowed to see it. So what's yeah. the, what are, what's it at right now? Uh, I don't even know this. I think it's like 20s percent, 20 percent, something <laughs> uh that's funny oh yeah it's at 21 percent right now out of out of 96 reviews so it is it's a bit of a stinker yeah the, the thing about gattaca is more about feel than looks because you can cast an old dude in ethan hawk's role and it still works right yeah yeah um hmm. that's a tough one I, I i honestly i don't know but i if there was a sequel or a remake i'd be all over it for sure yeah like a remake, a, a remake with like Daisy Ridley in the main character role, but then Ethan Hawke is back as the mission director or something, and he's kept that the story is that he's kept his true identity secret this whole time, um, thanks to people like Lamar and and folks like you know going shh mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but then it's 
it's through Daisy Ridley's character's journey that he kind of right at the end, he's the one who reveals, oh yeah, right. actually I did this before you and stuff. Right, right. Lamar's story was interesting too, eh? Like in that final uh, urine test where they go, or before they're going up to space, Vincent actually turns in a bad test that reveals him to be Vincent. Yes. And not Jerome Morrow. And Lamar is super sympathetic because he goes on a little story about how his kid was, you know, genetically, you know, good enough to to be what he wanted. And he really sympathized with Vincent and and basically viewed him as his own son. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it happens like right at the end of the movie. So it's easy to kind of overlook. But there's a there's a real moment of connection there that. Uh, yeah, uh, for that, sure. It's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like those small little human moments. But anyway. Yeah. So, uh, uh, of course, uh, as you can probably tell, strong recommendations from both of us. That about does it for this episode, this bonus episode on Gattaca. But we are planning to record our Oscar nominations reactions. Uh, not <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Not long after we record the uh, we record this here episode that you're currently listening to. So that is in the in the works. And as we're speaking, we don't even know what those nominations are. But we will know them soon, and then we will tell you what we think of them. <laughs> that is how <laughs> I'm sure we'll have lots of thoughts and lots of uh, lively discussions. Yeah, for as that. we as we've been hinting at in previous episodes, it's a it's a wild year. The eligibility period's been stru- uh, strung out. There's been different movies that have been kind of brought up to the fore and made into front runners. So it, it's a it's one of the wildest to react to by far in a long time. And that will be the the next episode you hear uh, on the Extra Buttery Podcast, the episode 92. So look out for that one. Um, but until then, my name is Robert Snow in Toronto. And my name is Jason Chen in Vancouver. Thank you for listening to Jason and Robert watch old movies. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>